definitely such good memories sort of thinking back on, you know, this was honestly a race where we, you know, finishing was not a sure thing and it was, it was a big worry. Uh, and so to finally get there was great. And, you know, second place, yeah, we were, we were stoked with that. Welcome to the Low Tide Boys, a Swim Run podcast. I'm Chip. I'm Chris. And this is episode 145 of the show. On this week's show, we have the second installment of our four-part series recapping the inaugural One Water Race. Joining us for this episode is the captain of Team 8 Australia, Rob Preston. Team 8 surprised a bunch of folks, safe to say a bunch of yes. folks, with their second place finish, and Rob shares his team's journey with us. Good stuff. Yeah. But first, training update. It is officially race week. We are super stoked to be headed over to North Carolina for Swim Run NC and hang out in, at, and around Hanging Rock State Park. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of crazy that we have another race coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is as as chill of a build as we've done since, I don't know, since... Yeah, I'm... uh, Before Casco last year. I'm saving all my... Thoughts for the uh, race report. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna but, be yeah. it's gonna be a dare to be great situation. No, it'll be uh, it'll be a good time. It'll yeah. be fun. It it'll will. be fun. Now on to this week's shoutouts. Yeah. So shout out and thank you to our newest patron on Patreon, Catherine Meinhardt. Thank you so much for the support, Catherine, and best of luck on your upcoming Ironman. I've been stalking you a little bit on. Oh. Uh, she's in her Strava club, so I know what she's building for. All she's, the cool kids are in the Strava Club. She, yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. It's true. More on that later. She's also part of the Brazen Racing crew. So ah, bonus shout out nice. for that. So, you know, Chipper, Chipper's been exposed to, to those to those folk mm-hmm. and they're, uh, they're our kin in a, in a way. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much for the support. Really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, Catherine. There. Now on to this week's Feats of Endurance. So this week's winner is Katie Klein. She ran the Chicago Marathon over the weekend and did great. It was a quote-unquote tune-up for her real A race, Odyssey mm-hmm. Swarm on Austin, that she'll be racing in early November with the Low Tide Boys, as it yeah. happens to be. Yeah. Bonus award goes to the recently crowned 2022 Ironman World Champion Age Group 40-44 to 44 winner, Jana Retrova. She crushed it out there. Now, if you're paying any sort of attention in the Low Tide Boys <laughs> Strava Club, uh, which is what where are we getting these feats from, so be sure to head to Strava, search Low Tide Boys, join, join up. They have been at the top in miles and hours training logged for si- weeks. Years. Ma- year, the, the, Probably since the inception. Since she joined. Since she club. joined. And she's also a swim runner, so she's done Austin with former guests of the show. Yes, Push Glide. Push Glide. Gemma, yep. Gemma Hollis. Gemma Hollis. Yes. So awesome job out there. Major kudos on that. And I had been following on Instagram as well. I think two or three years qualified for this race. It's kind of sound like a, there were some struggles. Finally made it. Huge result. Way to yep. go, Janet. C- kudos to you there uh, on the pod and on Strava. Yeah. Make sure you join the Low Tie Boy Strava Club, as I said earlier. And join the swim runners from around the world as they train for stuff like the Ironman World Championships and more, more importantly, swim runs. 
Now, I'm going to send it over to Chris over in the news desk for This Week in Swim Run. All right, we've got a couple updates for everyone this week, and usually we end with a bummer, so we're going to start with a bummer just to kind of mix it up on people. Okay. And the bummer is that swimmer season is winding down in the oh, northern hemisphere. No. And we're officially bummed out about that. But we're also excited to see the season end with some top-notch events on the schedule. But before we get to those events, last Sunday, the Madeira swim run took place in Portugal, and race director and former guest of the show, Bruno Safara, definitely knows how to put on a swim run. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. And this event looks spectacular. Now, coming up, Swimmer Portugal has just one more race on their 2022 schedule, so make sure you check out their Azores Islands Swim Run on October 30th. I went to the Azores maybe like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Did you, you didn't very do a nice. swim run? No. I didn't do a swim run. I swam. And but you ran? I don't know if I ran. Swim. I might have ran. You got know. the swim part down. Yeah. Um, over in France, Attila Cannes is happening this weekend, and if the race conditions are anything like they were last year, well, participants are in for, for a real treat, a mm-hmm. swim run treat. Here in the States, there's just two swim run events left for 2022, with swim run NC taking place this coming weekend, and Odyssey swim run Austin happening on November 6th. We're going to be at both of those events, and we've, you know, tried to just hit as many swim runs in our country as we can. As possible. Luckily, our wives are supportive about this. But that's it for this week. Feel free to reach out. Let us know if there's anything that you'd like for us to mention on the show. On to a little show business. Time for some show business, Chris. Yeah. So keep, just keep that pregnant pause after you say it. <laughs> just like let that linger for a little bit. I so love people it. know what's going on. I love it. It's business about the show. One last reminder. If you are racing Swarm Run NC with the Low Tide Boys, we mentioned here, the second to last Swarm Run of the season, be sure to join us for a shakeout tournament at 3 p.m. after packet pickup. You can do some final gear checks, scope out a little bit of the course, test the water temps, get a feel for the trails, yada, yada, yada. Plus, there will also be a fika at the end, courtesy of uh, co-volunteer race director Herbert Crable. Yeah. sponsoring the fika so thank you herbert he was all about it he was all about the fika he knows he knows the power he knows of the fika. he knows about he the knows fika get all the info for this head on to the show notes uh there's a facebook event there that has all the all the details there it's at a brewery green haven brewery i believe it is and we'll yep. see you there uh 3 p.m after pack pickup on saturday for a swim run shakeout yep now let's press on and get into our chat with rob preston yeah, it was super great to chat with Rob about his team's experience at the One Water Race. Teammate Australia um, had an awesome race. Yeah. <laughs> say, you know, I'll just put it out there. It was an awesome race. And and Rob really helped paint the picture of what it took to finish in second place. In this conversation, we chatted about why I even decided to put a team together for this thing, how they trained, and what it was like being out there for 49 hours and 52 minutes. Now, Rob is a super experienced adventure racer, a legend, and it was kind of cool to get to know him and kind of and also introduce him to our listeners because I had no idea who he was until he did yeah. this thing and, and doing some research for the show. It was like, man, this guy's like, this guy's legit. Yeah, that's one thing that I've really been liking about these one water race uh, chats that we've been having is it's kind of tapping into a little different part of the community. This adventure race scene that we admittedly don't dive into very much, but it's really cool to hear the uh contrast between a swim run and how yeah. oh maybe they're not as focused so much about gear but maybe on 
uh, sleep deprivation or, or things like that that I have to deal with in in longer one day plus longer type races. Totally. And this is a little bit foreshadowing, but it's going to that point. It's like from all the teams we spoke to, everyone was approaching it really differently, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting yeah. to see what worked, what didn't work and, and, and the like. So anyway, this is a good conversation. Rob, really appreciate him taking the time all yeah. the way from Australia. Time zones were crazy to get that one set up, but we got it. And yeah, it's a good one. Enjoy the conversation with Second place, Team 8 Australia, team captain, Rob Preston, adventure racing legend. One water race recap, part two. Legend status. Okay, captain of the second place team at the inaugural one water race, Rob Preston, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, I mean, for first of all, congrats on behalf of Chipper and me. Yes, damn, <laughs> just just damn. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear kind of like we know you have a huge, super impressive endurance background. We'd love to hear a little bit about that, but we'd also love to hear kind of like how do you found out about this race and what made you think it was a good idea. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Look, um, really proud of the result and. As you said, I do have a long history in uh, endurance sports. Uh, my background was actually in running, uh, mostly orienteering, uh, which I've been doing since I was a child. And then almost 20 years ago, I started adventure racing as well. So that's been um, probably my primary focus for the last uh, 10 years or so since I took a backward step from uh, high-level orienteering. and I have done uh, a couple of Ironman triathlons, but that's really as a bit of a, you know, sideward step from uh, yeah. teams adventure racing. Yeah, like, kind of um, like check the box. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Most people go from triathlon to adventure racing and not back the other way, but I actually really enjoyed the, um, you know, something that was a, you know, different to what I was used to doing. Yeah. Uh, but having said that, yeah, my swimming background is, uh, look, I, I'm a capable swimmer, but I'm not a uh, a great swimmer, I would say. Um, and when I saw this race advertised, sort of probably the start of this year or maybe late 2021, I thought, yeah, that's interesting, but it's not for me. And <laughs> so I kind of let it slide. Uh, but then I got tapped on the shoulder by a, a mutual Swedish friend who, uh, who knows Thomas and the organisation quite well, uh, a guy named Staffan, and he was actually in the team, but uh, he had to pull out due to um, some health issues. But he's like, oh, you know, they'd love an Australian team. Do you think you could get one together? And I, I looked at the website again and went, no, that's not for me. <laughs> um, and what was not for you? But was the it next, the 50K of swimming? <laughs> or was 50K it just like... swimming, yeah. Yeah. The running itself was not that daunting and, you know, a duration of 60, 65 hours itself wasn't daunting, but the sheer 50 kilometers of swimming, no matter how many islands you break it up over, that sounded um, you know, impossible in my mind. 
but then the next day I kind of thought about it a bit more and I, I reached out to um, a friend of mine, Elizabeth, uh, who has a pretty similar background to myself, um, although she's done a, a lot more triathlons and is a pretty handy swimmer. And she rep- replied five minutes later with, yes, I'm interested. <laughs> I was like, oh. Uh-oh. I probably didn't know, right? Hook. It's like, like, oh, man, I was hoping someone would give me some validation for not wanting to do this. 50K of swimming, are you exactly. nuts? Is that that's the reply you were hoping for originally? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think she even checked the website. Say <laughs> <laughs> yes to everything, uh, which is, you know, an amazing attitude in life, really. Um, so yeah, I kind of thought about it a bit more and, uh, started reaching out to some, uh, pretty high profile endurance athletes in Australia. And we, we did have a couple that were interested and then didn't fit in due to, to dates basically Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, the other racing commitments and work commitments. Uh, so no, there was, um, a period there where, uh, and, and Thomas sort of mentions it when I see him uh, and after the race as well in that I didn't want to book my flights to Sweden. I was uh, still a bit hesitant about actually, you know, whether the race would get off the ground um, because sometimes you see um, races with sort of huge expectations and uh, doesn't necessarily actually all work out that way. Um, So the first time where we really thought, oh, this is actually going to happen was um, back in, it was early May uh, when the race organisers said they wanted to send a film crew out to Australia to film some sort of pre-interviews and they managed to put that together in literally 48 hours. Uh, Wow. The photographers arrived in Australia and we were like, are you talking about Thursday this week? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. If I head to the uh, consulate and you know, get a visa and 24 hours on a plane, I'm like, oh. well, okay, because, you know, Friday's the only day that we actually had as an opportunity. Um, I wow. was actually heading off to um, to North America. I've had a, quite a long year of traveling or a few months of traveling. And so the dates were uh, pretty tight to fit in these um, these interviews. But once we realised that they were, the organisation was this keen and that capable of you know, making it happen, then you know I guess we're a bit more confident that um, we should actually start doing some swim training. <laughs> and, and is that how it happened when the film ready. crew showed up? We're like, yeah, just meet us at the pool. Yeah, we're, we're putting be, in uh, like ten thousand yards. I just got a new punch pass well, down at the Y. <laughs> funnily enough, we're like, we actually don't have any swim run gear. Can you? Go buy, you know, knock on a few sponsors yeah. or uh, just go down to the local shop and bring us, you know, a swim run suit, which fortunately you know, head supplied to us. Uh, otherwise, we were just going to look like, you know, real amateurs. Um, so they brought that over to us. And um, So what yeah, was your exposure really- to, or, you know, I'm sure you, you'd heard of swim run in your circles, but, you know, did you have like a sort of a good understanding of what this – what you were going to have to do for 48 hours, however long it took? Uh, yeah, look, from reading the description and, and then looking at the maps, I feel like I had a pretty good idea. Um, I have spent some time in Stockholm and Sweden. Mm. 
orienteering in my younger days and love the, the city. It's, um, you know, as you realize when you got over there yourselves, uh, amazing forests, totally. lakes, yeah. everything. Like we, I was not swimming back then, but just, uh, you know, orienteering, step out into the forest and it was amazing. And so I kind of had what this picture in my mind of, no, it was a pretty accurate picture, I think, of what to expect. Um, but then again, when you look at the pre-race schedule and you're like, okay, we'll hop on a ferry at 11 o'clock and then we we'll get to the, you know, our Nord at 4 p.m., five hours on a ferry just to kind of do half the race that we're going to do. It's like, wow, this is actually a really long way. <laughs> when you get into, it was all unfolding your eyes on the ferry. Yeah, yeah. But look, by that stage, you know, we were pretty excited. Like the um, really those last few days, the nervousness for me actually and, and I think our team kind of dissipated and excitement took over and we just you know, couldn't wait to get the race started. Wow. Yeah, and we're not overly familiar with adventure racing or some of the more marquee ones around, but um, being a very experienced adventure racer like you are, when you're going to take on a multi-day event like that, no matter what, if it's running or, or whatever the format is, multi-sport event, how do you do you do anything extra to kind of prepare for being sort of like tuned in for for that long of of a time? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, th- there's definitely a lot you can do to prepare yourself, you know, physically, mentally. Uh, you know, we prepare our gear list. Uh, you know, hopefully, a long time in advance so that you have time to specific, particularly for this event. You know, we had to buy quite a lot of new gear that we just didn't have. Um, like most of the time, if I go to an event race now, I have everything that I need. I'm just buying some you know, food or nutrition or something like that if we need it. Um, so we had a lot of gear testing, um, probably more so from my teammates than myself uh, because, yeah, like I was on the road and it was, you know, not that easy to just get another shipment of um Arc pool boys, yeah, um, like like you guys, another package from Sweden. <laughs> uh, so happened, yeah, we, we had to get the gear organised, and then um, in terms of uh, you know preparing for the terrain, say like I, I gave the other teammates some advice around you know what I expected they would need to train for, and that was like there's no big mountains but it's quite rough on the foot. So you're going to need to be used to running on tracks that have a lot of roots and rocks on it. So you're always looking up at your feet and uh, some off track sections. And look, that was all pretty well, I guess what I expected, but until you actually swim between those islands and realize what it's like, the entry and exit, uh, how important that is, uh, you, again, you just can't sort of um, train for that or expect it until you actually get there and realize it's not like well, you know, waiting I mean, in a sandy beach. We felt, yeah. yeah, totally. And we felt like, you know, anyone coming in who's not Swedish, who hasn't done either the Swimmer World Championship or done races or 
done anything on Archipelago, like you're at it somewhat of a disadvantage just from just from a familiarity perspective. Now, I know that 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 you guys were all basically together doing pre-race meetings before the race, before you got on the ferry. How much uh, was there a lot of communication between like different teams as to what to expect? Or was everyone just sort of like a friendly beer, but not necessarily sharing tactics? Uh, yeah, it was more the, the friendly beer. Um, we did have a few days where we were hanging out with, um, in the same hotel, but I guess we felt that we were a bit more relaxed when we actually got to the start line. A lot of the other teams were still going through their gear checks uh, and those sort of last-minute preparations. Uh, we'd actually got there maybe a couple of days before most of the other teams and we done that on the mm. Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday. Mm. So by the time it came to race motel on Saturday, packed all our gear in the boxes ready for the, the ferry on the Sunday. And I'd actually probably never felt quite so relaxed in terms of um, that packing of gear and preparation, which all my adventure racing teammates would know is certainly not my strength. Uh, <laughs> I kind of do what everyone else has done. And then quickly try to chuck all my gear in just to match what they have. Um, so something that you can stress over a lot and particularly like you turn up with all this gear and then you're like, gee, you act- we're not going to have room to put it in these gear tubs. And then we filled three of them literally with food and had one each for the, you know, the four team members of us. And, you know, they, they weren't quite big. We're not big tubs, especially when you need, say, possibly two swim run suits and one full-length triathlon wetsuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a spare pair of shoes, well, that's pretty well taken up what's yeah. you know, allocated to you. So not a whole lot. But then when you saw the boats, uh, you know, they were adequate, but they weren't huge as well. So, um, you know, there was – you'd need to make – decisions like that from the organization and make those tough decisions before you leave and then hope that you've got everything you need when you get on the course. Yeah. Which so, in so, this case, the weather was pretty favorable. Yeah. So, mm. uh, yeah. So we let's, let's, ta- like let's talk about this course. I mean, geez, like how Expansive. do you, how do you approach just from a tactical perspective? I mean, again, you know, by the time this episode airs, people should have listened to the one we did with Thomas Ogender sort of step one of, you know, part one of this, of this series. Um, and he made it seem like right off the bat, people are taking different strategies and doing different things. I uh, would love to hear from you kind of like how that process, how you decided what you were going to do, how it's just studying the maps and all that stuff. Yeah. So look, my primarily primary role in event racing is the navigator. So mm. that was going to be my sort of main role in this race. And doing some research, I had actually like got on Google Maps and and mapped out a course um, based on the research I'd done on their um, sort of previous test runs, if we could find some information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Look, that was helpful. You don't want to spend too much time trying to predict the course, but uh, in the end, I'd predicted, well, the shortest line is to do a lot more running on some of these big islands that the 
Berta course goes on. And in reality, the course was actually going across a lot more smaller islands. So a lot more swims, basically to make it up to, you know, close to 50 kilometres. And the runs, yeah, a lot of shorter runs. So I actually haven't had time to literally map out what we did, but I know it's, it was about 100 islands that we crossed. And so the, the other uh, teammate uh, that was you know, very important was uh, Julian, our support crew. Julian's got a, a navigation background as well. He's, we've been in the national orienteering team together, and he's also a, a swim runner in Stockholm. So perfect. We had, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like while we weren't Swedish, we had sort of the next best thing in our support crew, and that was, um, you know, so crucial to our results and our race was that Julian set the course. And I just followed it. And it takes like a, a big sort of mental strain off you when mm-hmm. you're not doing both of those parts because pretty well normally you set your own route and you have to follow it as the navigator. But in this case, I just got handed a map that had a line drawn on it. And Julian, you know, he even had time in these short transitions where we hopped off the, you know, he hops off the boat. We hop out of the water. He'd give us a little bit of food, uh, some water, whatever we need for the next leg. And I'd typically pull the map out of my wetsuit or get handed a new map, and he might just give me a, a brief description of what, you know, how he sees this um, mm-hmm. leg coming up and, and how to navigate it. And so that that worked really well. It was like you know, a really long orienteering course. Um, And certainly, uh, again, if you weren't familiar with the Swedish archipelago or Stockholm archipelago or, you know, Swedish forest, it would be a lot more difficult. And, you know, we can see that with the other North American teams um, that, you know, they definitely found it a lot more difficult than say what we did in the Swedish teams. Yeah. What did you, what did team, team number eight, what did you anticipate as kind of being your biggest thing to have to, the the biggest obstacle? It sounded like you have a, you had a really good handle on your navigational and the orienteering piece. Was it, was it the swimming? Was it the water temp? What what was it that you, that you all were thinking was going to be your biggest? Yeah, probably, you know, leading up to it, the water temperature and you know, how cold we're going to be was you know, we saw as the main obstacle to actually getting to the finish line. And yeah, as you said, the heart of the navigation was going to suit us better. And you know, it was still, it was difficult. It could have been harder and probably advantaged us even more so. Like we actually you know, caught up to the lead that we'd lost due to some good navigating on the first night. Uh, but it's been a good summer in Europe and in Sweden and the water temperature was as high as it normally get, you know, ever gets really. Um, it was colder in some swims than others. Like there were some actual cold currents that were coming in sort of you now at the north end of the course and in some of the deep passages um, got colder. But you know, we were kind of quite surprised that we didn't suffer from the cold. Um, and even things you worry about like, Foot care, uh, that's an incredibly uh, important 
aspect of long adventure races and you're like, what's it going to be like? You know, you get wrinkled feet in the bath in half an hour. What's it going to be like for Three days. 60 hours? Yeah. And in the end, like I changed my shoes once just because I wanted to mix it up and we were getting changed anyway, but we only did one change for the whole race and that was to get, well, into our full-length wetsuits mm-hmm. in the middle of the second night to do the, the longest swim. Super long swim, yeah. And other than that, we didn't do any foot care or you know, much care of our bodies at all because um, it was never bad enough. So uh, I feel, yeah. So, but so I have like a silly question next year. that, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm just going to ask it. So I apologize to anyone who thinks this is a ridiculous question. <laughs> I'm ready. But like, was it a little scary on that night swim? <laughs> that super long night swim. Like, uh, what did yeah, anything? I mean, this is like you know, you're Australian. Right? You're, you know, you got the outback. You got all sorts of. Stuff. I know, I know, you guys are super tough. Big but spiders. Was it? Yeah, giant spiders. But was there like a point where you're like, okay, this is actually kind of freaky, or you're not even uh, thinking about that? You're just in the zone. No, I mean that. Th- nearly three hours we spent on two hours fifty in the water for that long swim. So it was about seven kilometers. That was a, you know, but we had quite a lot of stopping because the navigation was actually really difficult. And mm. when I say the navigation, it's swimming in a straight line. Sure. Uh, it's, there was pretty well no moonlight, uh, very few lights in the horizon or um, anything to use as a marker to swim towards. Wow. And you'll see that on some of the videos um, posted during the race uh, of the support crews trying to, show the direction that we needed to swim. So it was kind of, it wasn't an efficient seven kilometers of swimming. There was mm. still quite a lot of stopping. And you know, like I was quite anxious about getting cold, uh, but we just kept on going. Um, felt like I was in a washing machine for three hours. And then eventually we just finally got there. Um, I actually enjoyed pretty well the whole race. Other than wow. that swim, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that it really was quite difficult, and especially on the second night, uh, you know, you, you're tired, but it's also hard to sleep when you've got your head in a washing machine. So yeah. that's kind of a good good side. Um, but yeah, I guess before that, when you actually did swim at night, even the first night, as soon as it's dark, like it was seriously dark, and a lot of comments about, oh, what's it like swimming tethered? And sure, we, we got to do a tiny little bit of training before the race together, but not much. And I'm going to say I'm glad we were tethered because you mm. could seriously lose your teammates so quickly out there in the dark. Um, the boat could lose you. And, yeah, so actually staying together was, um, you know, a really good safety point. Mm. Nice. Well. We, it would be too much to recount a step-by-step uh, retelling of this course of venture, but why don't you give us a few highlights from each day or each maybe 12-hour segment or whatever whatever story you feel like you want to tell us. <laughs> We're here to listen. Yeah, just, just paint the picture paint for the us. Paint the picture for us. You can, we already covered the, the three-hour swim, so you can skip that part. <laughs> so, yeah, look, starting off in the, the north of the archipelago, uh, a, a good 5k run to get started and uh the 
the eventual winners, Team Four, uh, they pushed the pace pretty hard at the start, and, and we let them go. But we kind of came back together for a few of the swims um, near the start, and then we took different route choices, uh, which uh, is what the race organisers and the courses wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we ended up with um, the Team Two Sweden on our heels, and that was a bit of a talking point uh, amongst well, our team and the support crews and the race organisers because uh, it, you guys I guess, were doing all the work. Yeah, it, it did, but we just couldn't drop them, uh, and it took until nearly twenty-four hours. I think it was like twenty-two, twenty-three hours. Uh, we were together and, you know, like there's a period in there where, you know, you stop racing against each other and you're racing with them, but it kept us on our toes and it really kept them on their toes for a a long period of time. Uh, And so, yeah, I guess we were with them all through the day. We didn't make, you know, many mistakes, which was sort of good and just kept on pumping out these swims there were quite a few longer swims going into the the first evening but like the first eight hours or so I think it took us to finish stage one that all seemed to go pretty smoothly and um you know I felt like I wasn't feeling that tired you know I was expecting my arms would probably be feeling it already by that stage but uh like a, a few times we'd try to sort of get a break on Team two, um, you think that you might have a little bit of a gap, but they were able to, you know, bridge that gap, swim back onto our feet or something like that. Um, so moving into the second night, uh, oh, sorry, the first night, the, it did actually start to rain and the conditions changed. It got cooler and um, it was actually some of the treks or the running legs that I felt coldest and that was like in particular one leg um, where it was raining quite hard. Uh, but we had, uh, yeah, a difficult couple of islands of navigation and that's where we actually managed to catch back up to, um, to the leaders and you now that was really, you know, motivating to bring us all back together and you're like, uh, you know, 15, 16 hours into the race or something like that, but we're all back together and they'd already proven that they were probably physically stronger than anyone else. Um, so we were, the three teams were together for probably about half an hour and then we actually popped out on the water and there was a, a support boat out there and that was um, yeah, Sweden, Australia's support boat and they'd actually planned a different route. So we actually took this route choice around uh, like a further running leg going through a marsh section which was then going to prevent us like skip a swim basically mm. um and there was an interesting discussion which i couldn't really understand because it was in swedish about <laughs> the t- about the teams like just wanting to keep following us because we were navigating well and their support crew saying no we've planned to swim come back we're going to swim and they did do that and it actually you know turned out to be a crucial decision because they uh, their route was better and and they got away from us. Uh, but so we, we kept going through the night. There was a few difficult islands where I, I you know, made a few 
nav mistakes, a little bit of circle work. Um, yeah, you know, outsource <laughs> getting tired, but hurting all this lingo. I know, circle work. I like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to put that one in my pocket. Uh, and then, uh, coming like into day two, the sun's coming up. The, the weather was, you know, had improved again by then. And we got out on one island and, and looked back and we had sort of a gap of maybe 30 or 40 meters to mm. team two, at least the first person. And we're like, oh, let's, let's give it a go here. <laughs> so we all hooked up the tow ropes there as well. And I kind of unleashed a lot of frustration from the last 22 hours of, um, of being followed the whole time and, and ran really hard for this six kilometre island and finally sort of broke the, the rubber band. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's much harder than when a team has to start to navigate for themselves and yeah. also start swimming for themselves as well. So we got to that, um, finished that run, quickly got into the next swim, got on the next island and, and we couldn't see them behind us starting that swim and we kind of knew that, all right, let's, no. Yeah. I mean, it has to be frustrating race. when it's just like, yeah, I mean, they're basically letting you guys do all the work. It's like, um, you know, in a cycling event, yeah. you're just sit, chilling in the back. Yeah, that's right. Tactics. It happens in different sports yeah. and different sports have, I guess, different, um, you know, unwritten rules around what you do. Mm-hmm. There's nothing illegal about what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's part of the sport. But having said that, we knew that, you know, if we broke them, uh, the time gap would would spread out, and you know that's what it did. After that, they they had to start racing their own race, and but then the good thing was we really had some um, momentum during that second day, and and we're catching back up to the leaders again. So there was a point where we could see them at a checkpoint, and we got to within about fifteen minutes, um, and then again there were some longer swims getting back to the mainland. So you actually came kind of onto the mainland at two points or no, maybe not the mainland, but another larger island. Um, and again, they took a slightly different route choice. Uh, and so we couldn't follow their line. Um, but coming into the afternoon, we actually took sort of one route choice where Julian had given me a bit of uh, leeway to go, oh, if you're feeling good, maybe cut this corner and go you know, left around this island, uh, this lake, rather than right. And I was like, yeah, we feel good. Let's do that. <laughs> and uh, it turned out to be a bad choice. It was um, was difficult forest. And uh, so not only was it a bit slower, but it just took – a lot of energy out of our legs. Um, so rather than just sticking on a track and maybe running a bit further, um, we tried to go a shorter direction, which took us longer and, and tied our legs out. And so getting into that second afternoon, we then actually came on to parts of the Ertur course. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was going to be an advantage to the, the leading team who have won yeah. that race many times. Yeah, they've uh, all, like a dozen they've times in between them. Yeah, they've all won it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So just that extra familiarity uh, always makes you feel more confident, which we didn't have. And you just miss little turns, you know, a minute here, a minute there. And 
and our energy levels were sort of tiring in that afternoon. But we got out to the last sort of long run, which was on Erna, I think. That's the island that you finish. Yeah. At, uh, that right? uh, yeah, but uh, we kept on running past finish all the way to the end of that island. And that was um, that was an 18-kilometre run, which was the longest of the, the race. And we definitely tried to keep pushing hard on that the start of that run, but then by the end, um, you know, we were tired. You know we were getting into yeah, we're getting into the second night at that stage and we'd been hoping that we could start the long swim before dark, but it sort of dragged on a little bit. We didn't start that until sort of close to, uh, I don't know, midnight or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's a tough time, say 36 hours into the race to then do your longest seven-kilometre swim. And yeah. yeah. At that point, it really was, you know, we're still racing, but you're just trying to beat the course to get to the finish rather yeah. than catch the lead team or stay a- ahead of the, the third place team. Uh, so, yeah, look, we eventually got there. Uh, Elizabeth got a bit sick on the next island, which was basically she felt that she was just seasick, mm-hmm. um, you know, a bit, bit dizzy and uh, had a bit of a chuck on the, on the pier before we started the next swim. But... Fortunately, it was not, you know, it didn't last long and finally made it to like, you know, the mainland, which was um, the route had to go there basically to avoid some of the bigger shipping lanes or ferry lanes. And um, that uh, there were some sections there where we were getting pretty tired because we, again, hadn't slept for two full nights, which even for someone like myself who's done you know, nearly 30 expedition races but rarely go two nights without sleep so you Mm. one night without sleep is pretty common but then you try to sleep after that Um, but we could kind of almost see the finish line and you're like we don't didn't want to stop we didn't want to get cold because you do get cold sleeping often it can be hard to get going again Um, but there was a point there where all three of us were like falling asleep on our feet and no doubt the cameraman who was following us is Having a bit of a chuckle so and drama, drama for the for the Netflix special. Yeah, yeah. cue suspense. Like just, just hanging out to get to the the next swim, really, to you know wake you up, and <laughs> we did that. And uh, again, it was really quite clear conditions at that stage, but that meant like uh, actually really cold in the the tiny little hollows of the farms that we then walked past afterwards. Like that was hmm. um, it was foggy and. That was actually the coldest part. So we were still walking in our full-length wetsuits at that for a few hours after, um, you know, the long swim. And then eventually we got out to towards Lanzort, the finish, and that was actually our, our only bit of familiar terrain because we'd done a, a recce out there a few days before we um, – our second day in Sweden, we went out there and did, like, the last um, – seven kilometers of the course in our training and that was um julian teaching us the technique of <laughs> water entries and exits Some and transition it, it's work. Actually yeah. Really, yeah it's really quite a rough uh few islands out there too they're actually some of the higher ones or the more rugged entries but by that stage you know we knew we we're going to get there and um 
finally got across to the last island and actually changed into our swim run suits just for the last three kilometres to because it was it was only eight o'clock in the morning, but I was really starting to burn up in the heat by sure, that stage. Yeah. And sure. I mean, well, I mean, super impressive. I think that going into it, if Vegas cared about this and was putting odds and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure the teammate from Australia wouldn't have been picked for a podium. I mean, I think you'd had to go. I mean, some teams dropped out, but you'd have to think that, you know, the Swedish teams were going to have an advantage and you guys popping up and running a smart race. I think, uh, I think, I think surprised a lot of people, especially because, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I was like, hey, you're at a huge disadvantage if you haven't done a Tolo the World Championship or, you know, f- intimately familiar with transitions and things like that. Because, yeah. you know, 100 some odd transitions, however many you had to do, 200, you spend five minutes at each of those. That's a ton of time, right? Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so so kudos on, on just like an amazing performance. Um, I'm curious, like during the race, when you're sort of getting to the finish line and you're seeing it happen, like what, what are sort of the emotions that are going on? Are you just staying very kind of like even keel, not getting too high, not getting too low, just moving forward? Or are you like, you know, kind of like, let's fucking go, let's get this done. Super stoked. Cause it's almost over. Yeah. I mean, every race is a bit different like that. Um, I've had adventure races where you've had, sprint finishes with teams after five days and <laughs> wow that's kind of amazing uh in this case like once we got out onto that you know, the walk it was like about a five kilometer walk run to the ferry terminal um the weather was nice uh we actually spent a bit of time you like you know wow this is beautiful um there's this boulevard basically of trees um that we i noticed when we'd driven to the ferry terminal and i'm like this is really beautiful we were there at, you know seven o'clock in the morning and uh sun was coming up it was stunning and mm-hmm. just enjoying the last few uh of those swims really was quite nice and um you know not really in much of a hurry but then when we got out onto the island um the, the, the final island landsort Really, you know, quite emotional that last three kilometres or so of running um, and then sort of getting to meet up with our support group, Julian, who um, met us about 500 metres from the finish and uh, definitely such good memories sort of thinking back on, you know, this was honestly a race where we, you know, finishing was not a sure thing and yeah. it, was, it was a big worry uh, and... So to finally get there was great, and you know, second place, yeah, we were we were stoked with that. And but then also, yeah, in the days after the race, hearing um, the Swedes, the swim run community in general, uh, like kind of amazed with our performance, and you know that made second place feel like winning for us because yeah, no one really expected the the leading team to be pushed at all just because yeah. of their absolute experience their you know, physical strength and um and the fact that they were a lot more familiar with the terrain than we were for sure for sure um would you come back and do the race again oh for sure yeah um oh for sure definitely yeah 
I'm keen to put the dates on the calendar and lock it in and maybe do a bit more swimming in the next 12 months. <laughs> I was going to I was going to ask besides uh, up in the swim volume a little bit what what were your kind of your couple of your big t- key takeaways from from the race standpoint that you think you would try to apply to your either maybe situating your race calendar a little bit different to do a different type of race or or how what, how would you kind of change uh, change things up for the next yeah. one water race? Well, look, it would certainly be good to get a bit of training in as a team of three. Uh, so well, I actually hadn't met Glenn until we arrived in Sweden. Um, so that's kind of how f- unfamiliar we were. Uh, and Elizabeth and Glenn had made the time to have a training camp uh, in in Queensland in Australia, but at that stage I was travelling around um, America and Canada, so I never got a chance to train with them. And I guess like that, the tether set up and, the, and all that gear is, it's so, like, it's kind of millimetre, needs to be millimetre perfect. Like, hmm. you think you've got it right, but over the course of 48 hours of racing, you'd be amazed how, I don't know, the, the length of your belt will needs to be changed and if it's not perfect, it will slide to one side, which will make the tether line go to one side and then make swimming difficult. But you're always like, oh, i just get through this swim and then you kind of forget about it on the yeah. run and you get into the next swim and you're like, oh, it's still annoying me, but now it's on the other side. <laughs> and... Uh, it was, you know, it's like that for 48 hours. It's just like, I oh, just deal with it. Uh, but, yeah, if you could really nail down some of those things that, uh, you know, makes swimming for the second and third person more efficient, then that's going to make, you know, hopefully you move better overall as a team. And, look, I, I don't think we could have done much better in terms of the, the running or the navigation uh, side of it. There's a few things that... Now, I'd like to have another go at, but um, it'd be interesting to see how, you know, what Thomas throws at the teams next year right. and whether, um, you know, I, I had these conversations just via email with Thomas about the scheduling of, in terms of, you've only got 65 hours. Like, I, I didn't think anyone was going to do it in 65 hours. <laughs> and then we actually managed to do it in 48 hours now. You know, I'm amazed as anyone by that. Um, but I do feel like you could easily take this year's experience and then go back next year and then have colder water, bad weather, and yeah. it'd yep. be seriously more difficult and challenging. Uh, and, again, maybe only three out of eight or three out of ten teams might finish, um, even with that added experience of right. of what we did this year. Um I do feel like there will be a lot more teams apply next mm-hmm. year because it's now been, that they thought it's a, it's a proven, real thing, <laughs> it's a proven race now. That's right, and uh, now everyone—it's like breaking the four-minute mile. Once one person had done it, lots of people did it. That real mental barrier, uh, and yeah. I feel like a lot of the you know, other top run swim run athletes will be sort of keen, um, but then still, it does have that added teamwork aspect and the um, navigation aspect that adventure races sort of have as well. So, um, right. you know, it's, 
but it is a great event and good to see something that is a little bit different to any other sure. race on the calendar. For sure. Rob, let, let me ask you, um, it, you know, you've done a ton of endurance of, you know, these adventure races, world championships, the whole thing, right? Um, how, what did you think about sort of the organization of the one water race, like in terms of the way it was planned out and laid out? Was it, was there anything that you think that they could have done better or different that would have, that would have made the experience better for well, you? Look, they dreamt big and really chased something amazing in the first year. And when I've seen that before, you know, often it doesn't work out, uh, mm-hmm. but they had such a big team behind them uh, to be able to make it happen. And when you actually saw sort of some of the videos they showed of the you know, behind the scenes, uh, you're like, oh, wow, that's um, there was really a lot going on inside that, the brig, the big sailing boat they had. And you can also see why this is not going to be a race with 100 teams. Uh, yeah. It's just unsustainable. Um it's only going to be you know, a small niche race, but everyone that does the race is going to be really well looked after. And um, you know, all the teams that didn't make it to the finish still had an amazing experience and you know, just realised that they got beaten by a tough course. Um, so, yeah, great to see Thomas's ambition and um, you know, finally come and get shown on the world stage. Um, you know, they'll be the first ones to admit that some of the live tracking and um, you know other functionality mm-hmm. that they wanted to have didn't quite work out, and they'll try you know even harder next year to make sure it actually will. And um, yeah, it's always hard getting everything right in the first race, but the maps were amazing. That's probably another aspect that adventure races you know either love or loathe. The, the standard of maps, but orienteering is the home of you know, Sweden is the home of orienteering, and uh, they just did you know an amazing job with the maps. So that you know, even though the navigation might be uh, challenging, it's it's way better if you actually have an accurate map to be able to do that. Like being given the best tools possible to yeah. to achieve, um, you know, get through that course. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see the full uh, you know, media coverage when it comes out and and what that shows. But I think it's going to be, you know, hopefully you have a broader audience than just the Swedish swim runners and a few adventure races around the world. Who, yeah, and a couple you know, of yeah, a couple, podcasters, uh, podcasters in uh, California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, Rob, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, to, to, talk with us and, and share about your experience. I know we were DMing back and forth after the race and thank you for being supportive and checking out our memes. Really appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, hope to hopefully see you in person at some point and wish you best of luck for the rest of the year and with one water race next year, if that works out for you. Yeah. Well, thank you. And um, well, great job on the podcast. I did explain. I only started listening to listening to you guys about a week before the one water race and okay. <laughs> I, I was traveling around uh, Iceland in the car on my own for two days and just went through a, a big selection of year. Uh, <laughs> Love to while, hear which, it. Which was a great. crash course. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, 
know, it's kind of funny. We actually had to do some, you know, a bit of a media question and answers uh, before the race uh, from some of the swim run websites and things like that. You know, what are your tips for first time swim runners and things like I'm like, well, we are first time swim runners, so I don't know <laughs> if you want to listen to any of our advice. Um, but yeah, certainly keen to do some more swim runs and, uh, you know, when I saw it, watching your guys, you, you know, your t- journey in Sweden was great as well. And I definitely oh, felt you. like I, I would have loved to have stayed there another two weeks and, and given it a go. But yeah, I'd already been on holidays for um, three or four months. So <laughs> I had to get home Fair on enough. the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I but think yeah, you would have had, had, to get a, to get had a blast yeah. out there for sure. Sounds good, yeah. man. Just well, one day, just a couple, you know, eight, ten. 10 hours, 11 hours, nothing for you. Okay. Barely even worth getting certainly, out of bed in the morning. Uh, certainly mentally, that race doesn't scare me um, when you've done 48 hours of. But, yeah, look, the quality of the those top guys and the times just getting faster and faster. Is, um, unbelievable. Yeah, that's right. Crazy. It's unbelievable. Seven hours. Yeah, well, Rob, man, thanks so much. Really Congrats appreciate you taking the well. time. Yeah, congratulations to you and your team. You guys crushed it. And yeah, best of luck. Great. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Rob. All right. Cheers. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review since that's the best way to help other people discover the show and the support of Swim Run. Sign up for our newsletter at lowtideboys.com. That's boys with a Z. And check out our meme page at the Low Tide Boys on Instagram. If you have any suggestions for the show or questions for us, send us a DM or an email at lowtideboys at gmail.com. We'd like to thank Riding Easy Records for our show music and, of course, our wives for their support and tolerance of all our swim run activities, podcast, and other stuff. Yeah, other stuff. Other way stuff. To, way to keep it PG. Finally, you can support our efforts on Patreon. Until next time, get out there and go for a swim. Go for a run. Then another swim. Then another run. And then another swim. And then another run. And then just keep going. Until you're done. Until you're done. Or maybe can't stop stop. all stuff. (laughs)